Welcome to this podcast that is all about funding. From grants to crowdfunding, I will be answering questions and providing tips and advice on how to best move forward in securing grants and funding for your nonprofit, research, or business. My name is Holly Rustic, and I'm creator of WeGo Consulting and Amazon best-selling author for wish-granted tips, tools, and templates to write a winning grant. Want to get more grant writing and funding resources, books, and online courses? Visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com or wegogrants.com. Check out our free templates. Or if you have any grant writing or funding questions, you can always send me an email at hollywego at gmail.com. That's H-O-L-L-Y-W-E-G-O at gmail.com. I'm excited to hear from you and to try my best to answer any questions so that you can increase your funding and impact your community and the world at large. So let's get started because money can be Changemakers, welcome to 35, How to Embrace Grant Rejection. Yes, you heard me right. It is definitely um, time to learn about how to embrace those uh, those no's, right? Um, because we all get them, but they are part of our journey. And here's a way that you could really embrace them. Sometimes the no's aren't necessarily bad. So you've put your heart and soul into writing that grant. You may have lost sleep. You definitely missed the latest Breaking Bad episode. Or you possibly could have paid a grant writer a hefty sum to write that grant and then it doesn't get awarded. All right, for all of that, what you got was a mass email that started with the bad lines, right? The memorable lines. We regret to inform you. Your heart plunges and you decide to write off grants for the rest of the year or for the rest of your life. <laughs> you may have said at some point, enough with that grant. I'm never going to get it. I keep getting, you know, I gotta know. I just, I'm not gonna be able to get it. Or maybe I've got two no's twice in a row, right? Two years in a row, you've gotten two no's and you're just like, forget it. You know, I can't get that. It's too hard, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Nobody likes rejection, especially after they put so much time or funding into writing that grant. Nobody likes to see their much-needed project swatted away and not even given a chance. Or at least that's what it feels like, right? But here's the thing. Sometimes you don't have that great of a grant and it really should get rejected. Alright, sorry, but sometimes you did binge watch the entire series of Breaking Bad and then wrote the grant a few hours before it was due. (laughs) Don't do that. Other times, you may have written that fantastic grant narrative. The budget's there, every, you know, everything is there except the mandatory attachment, such as a logic model or a copy of your IRS tax-exempt 501c3 certificate. All right, maybe you went over the margins. Maybe you didn't use 12-inch font, right? I mean, these things are all real. If you don't read the technical part of it, then you could get dismissed even if you had the most flowery, beautiful narrative ever. All right, and you had all of your quotations for your budget and everything just sorted out. But if you didn't actually have the bare minimum requirements, then your grant could just get thrown out before it's even looked at. Ah, but most often is that you did spend time or cash on writing a great grant. You included all the attachments and you went through the brutal process of submitting on grants.gov. Actually, it's gotten a lot much better now that they have workspace. Um, Or you spent a fortune of your ink on printing like a jillion copies that you have to submit to the foundation or the, you know, local municipality, right? They sometimes want like 
five or 10 copies of everything. So you've got like 100 plus pages times five or 10. And you know, everything has to get turned in. Then of course, you make your own copy that you have to keep. So you'll have that on file. And it really does take up a lot of ink and paper and sometimes money because you have to get some of this notarized, right? So it's a process, right? And you still get rejected. You get that rejected stamp on your grant, and that just really bites. But on the other side, and actually we're going to look at 10 things about this, is it's not always a bad thing. That no, that rejected stamp, it's not always a bad thing. What? Holly, have you lost your mind? Okay, it's not the best scenario. I'm not that much of a Pollyanna. But it's not all lost time, energy, and moolah. Let me explain. Here are 10 ways to embrace the rejection of grants. All right, number one, you wrote and designed a project. That's so cool. Chances are you may have only had the idea for the project in your mind before you wrote it. But once you sat down and wrote it, the details became very clear. You may have even changed some aspects or approaches because red flags became apparent as you got down to the nitty gritty. And that usually does happen. The other great thing is that you got it organized. All right, you came up with a problem statement, goals, objectives, a work plan, a budget, maybe a logic model. You gathered all the resumes, like you did the work and you put something together and created an entity. I guarantee this project has enhanced tremendously, right? It probably started off with this idea in your brain, maybe a couple of people talking about it, and then all of a sudden you sorted it out, you got rid of what wasn't gonna work, you and you know, you really boosted what is going to work. And it's now a much better project because you had to sit down and write the grant. You may have even found out that you don't need money for a certain aspect because you have existing resources. And we'll definitely cover more of that in point number four. But even if you already had full on a full on project developed, so maybe you say, well, you know, I already had a project developed, Holly, and you know, that didn't really help me do anything. But you may have now updated your need statement with new statistics so it's not outdated, or you went and got new and updated quotations on costs for equipment and supplies. You got new letters of support. We'll talk about that in a second. So there's definitely a lot that goes into writing a grant that's not just about the paperwork being submitted. You are actually developing an entity. You're developing a project. And with that, that's a really beautiful thing to do because then you really understand if it's even needed. Okay, guys. All right. So number two, you developed or strengthened relationships. Oh, those good old letters of support, letters of commitment and memorandums of understanding. You know what I'm talking about? All right. Usually you need these when turning in a grant and usually you ask your good and faithful supporters who you can count on to insert their signature and put it on the letterhead on the draft that you prepared. Right. So basically you're always preparing a draft. Um, and when you sign up to the funding toolkit, you actually get this as one of the templates as a letter of support because nine times out of 10 people will just say, uh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll support you. I like what you're talking about. You know, if you call them up or you send them an email and they're going to say, sure. Um, can you send me a draft so I can just maybe change a little bit, put it on my letterhead and sign it. Like they don't want to go through all the work of actually writing it. And that's quite fine because you know what the project is. So you can really identify what the project is and talk about your relationship and what you want them to do. And they're going to look that over and they're going to say yes or no, or they're going to tweak it a little bit. And then they're going to put it on their letterhead, sign it, email it back 
Perfect. So even if you don't get that grant awarded, you will continue to show that you have projects to these partners, right? You're going to communicate this to these stakeholders and they're going to say, cool, that that nonprofit, they're really working on things. That's really cool. Plus, you may have to go out and get some new partners based on what type of project you are developing. This is a great way to develop those new relationships and it gets you out of your comfort zone to talk to new partners. Furthermore, it will also show you who actually shows up and get those letters back to you. I mean, let's be real. Sometimes they're just stakeholders that are just too busy and they're really great supporters. But other times it really does show you who your true fans are and those people or organizations that you can actually count on. Number three, you have created buzz for your projects. Developing a project for your nonprofit is usually not an isolated idea, right? When you guys get around the water cooler to actually talk about the grant, it is, it's a brainstorming activity. So what I mean by that is that you usually involve at least several people in on the process of hashing out what is needed, why it's needed, how much it will cost, and so on. And this could be your board of directors, your staff, your beneficiaries, if you've conducted a needs and strengths assessment or surveys even prior to writing the grant so you find out what you actually need to write a grant for, not a bad idea. Um, Or your stakeholders, you might even ask them, you know, and your volunteers. There's so many people that could be included on the grant kind of design process. So even when you send out those letters of commitment to get your stakeholders to sign, you are creating buzz for your project. It is a good thing to take a vague idea and create some momentum behind it by sharing it with others. So just by developing this project, you're definitely creating buzz for it. Number four, maybe you don't actually need grant money for the project. A good thing about writing grants is it makes you really identify if the project is needed and how much it will cost. For example, you may start developing a project for a botanical garden, and as you are writing out this grant and pricing it, you realize you can tap into existing resources, volunteers, and stakeholders, and you don't actually need the support for you know, the funding for that particular project. Or on the other hand, you may realize that you need a lot more than the $5,000 grant cap and should go after a larger grant that makes more sense for your project. I mean, the worst thing you wanna say is, um, when you're writing up the budget and you say, oh man, it's actually going to take about 15000 and the grant cap for this is 5000 and we're going to say it's realistic with 5000 just because we're desperate for money, and then you fail because you can't complete it because it does take 15000 You don't want to do that. So this is a good way of really, it shows you if you need more or if you you don't need it at all. Maybe you other ha- you have stakeholders already that have, you know, you can get some seeds donated, you can get some rakes donated, whatever, you have volunteers that are willing to actually come in and do this, you know, to help uh, build up the botanical garden. So you might not need money for that grant. Number five, you developed an outline for a fundraiser or a crowdfunder. You didn't get the grant, but OMG, you want this project to get off the ground, right? like ASAP. So what about applying the project to a fundraiser or a crowdfunding campaign? Why not? You've already articulated the problem statement. You've developed clear goals and objectives. You have a realistic budget in place, and you've written a grant narrative. You have the framework for the why, what, how, when, and where already developed. Now all you have to do is communicate this with your potential funders, whether that being during an in-person event or online. So you could definitely develop, you know, let's do a, a fundraiser, a traditional kind of fundraiser about this and invite people or just solicit out letters to get the money for it. And you can have different tiers. You know, this is how you're going to support us. 
Um, or you could even just do it online and you could run a crowdfunder that way because you have a clear project developed. You may get no's on purpose. Here is the reality. Some foundations will just not give to a first-time grant seeker or a second-year grant seeker. Sometimes it can take up to three years or more to get your application even seriously reviewed. And I'm talking about foundations here, not necessarily federal grant applications. It's a little bit different, but let's think of this. So why? Think of it from their angle as a foundation. The foundation may have received hundreds or even thousands of grant applications. They need to vet somehow, right? They need to kind of clear out some of stuff because that's just way too many to look at. But the other thing is that many people start up nonprofits with eagerness and 10x passion. In the first year, they learn what you may be learning or know. It takes serious work to run a nonprofit. It's not just some cushy job that has no risk. Running a nonprofit is running a business, and if you don't have entrepreneurial fire, it just isn't going to work out in the long term which means generally longer than a year. Rob Henson states that nonprofits have a higher failure rate compared to 80% of small businesses failing within, within the first five years. That's a tongue twister. Sorry. <laughs> but anyways, this may be true as people who aim to start a business usually at least have some entrepreneurial spirit, right? They kind of have some kind of something going on there like, hey, I'm going to start a business because, you know, they're, they're, they can take a little bit of a risk. But many people do not associate nonprofits with actually being a business. Believe me, a nonprofit is a business. It is just a business that is not going to generate a profit to supersede the organization. Many people who start nonprofits do so because they are passionate about the cause, and that is a good thing, right? That's great, but often that passion does not know how to fund the organization. And when they get their back to the wall and they actually have to pay some bills, you know, they, they just, they're not in the mindset that they have to run a business. They're in a mindset that everyone should just hand them money, and that's just not the way it works, right? So a foundation will want to make sure you aren't starting off with a bang to just fizzle out when the times get hard, and they will. After all, it is their money, and they want to be confident that it is going to be spent well, and it's going to be sustained whatever project they are helping you start up, all right? They don't want to see it just dissolve. Moral of the story? Keep submitting and in the meantime, try and develop a relationship with a foundation during off cycles of grant notices. Don't just submit that once a year when the grant cycle comes open and think you're developing a relationship. You're not. Invite them to your fundraisers. Invite them to your activities um, when it, they don't have their grant applications open. Try to get to know their board of directors. Do other things because it's all about relationships with foundations. All right, number seven. You will get feedback, but not always, so ask for it. And you can use this feedback to improve for next year. I have to say that federal grants are better at this than foundations, as often there is a very elaborate peer review panel, scoring criteria, etc. when the feds review your grants, right? Because there, it's not just a private foundation who can do what they want with their money necessarily. They have standards they have to adhere to. With this review, which is awesome, it there comes with uh, comments for each part of the criteria as well as scores. So this is amazing for help tightening up your next year grant application. It really is. And ask for this feedback because you're not always generally just going to get it. Ask. 
So it is harder though, although it's not impossible to get this feedback from many foundations. Often you will just get that blanket email. Uh, we regret to inform you, blah, 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 blah. But you can follow up and say, hey, you know, I appreciate getting this letter, but we'd really like to improve our, you know, our proposal for next year. We want to keep, you know, we want to develop a relationship with you guys. Can you please give me some feedback on why it wasn't awarded? And sometimes they'll say, you know, there's just so many people submitting this year, or they might say it was out of our scope. Like that's not our priority. Like they generally will give you something, right? Calling's a good way as well, not just email a lot of times. So, but really do this, ask for feedback and never just expect it. All right, number eight, sometimes you need a no before you will get a yes. All right, so as with anything, the rejections thicken your skin a little bit, right? You don't want to get sloppy or overconfident when writing grants. Sure, it is great to get a yes all the time, but as with many things, like sending your manuscript to publishers, (laughs) it's like the worst, getting a no at least means you are trying, and you are submitting. All right, if you are too scared of rejection and would rather not submit than get a no, like you're like, you know, I'm not going to try because I'm probably going to get that no, then I'm just here to say that your nonprofit probably won't last very long. You might be up in that 80 plus percent of failing within the first couple of years because you really need to have some thick skin to get this in the game, right? You need to accept the no as part of your overall journey because if you never try, you are already getting a no and you will never get a yes. So you must submit and just make sure and and don't get too cocky about it. I'm getting yeses all the time. I don't even need to like edit my work or look it over. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to submit. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't get there too, right? Grant writers have a tendency to sometimes get like that. So you want to make sure that you're also, you know, you're always treating it with just with honesty and you're always looking it over. You're always taking your time and you're actually in the game. You're submitting. Number nine, you can use your rejected grant as an outline for other grant applications. You may not have to wait until next year to submit your edited and updated grant to the same funding source. Oftentimes you can reformat it and submit it to another funding source or open grant application. As long as you are writing to the priorities and criteria of that specific grant application and your project is relevant to your organization, it is completely fine. And actually a good thing to use the same project to submit to another grant funding source. You don't want to have to always chase the money. You want the money to jive with your project. So if another grant for a botanical garden comes out, you can use that same information and submit it to a different funding source. This will save you so much time. Even if you write a completely different project, you can take out some of the same information from the grant that was rejected Um, Like, for instance, you can utilize some of the same needs and statistics. You can take the section about the organization, like the hierarchy, your organization chart, all that kind of stuff. You can use the budget as a template. There's so much that you can pull from previous grants that you have written, even if they didn't get funded. Number 10, you can resubmit. All right, so you can resubmit to the same funding source the next grant cycle they are open. As long as the priorities are the same, then you can even use the same but updated application member, use the feedback, kick it around again to your organization, have other people look at it, and just make sure you even get it better because it can always be improved. But you can use basically the same one. Um, even if you have never received a review, you can send your grant application, like I said, along with the scoring criteria. All you have to do is send that to your board of directors, your staff. You can have it sent to your um, volunteers and have them actually score it like they're the grant panel. 
and that will really help the grant application get up to speed and just be even better. Remember, it's a work in progress. It can always be better. So there it is. Those are your 10 ways of how to embrace grant rejection. Remember, getting a no isn't the worst thing that can happen. Never writing up the project, never taking a risk and submitting, and never getting the opportunity to win the grant. That is the worst. There you have it, guys. All right, so I also want to encourage you guys. I have the free funding toolkit available at grantwritingandfunding.com. Please check it out. Um, and we have Leon's interview from last week still up on the podcast. She did amazing. She talked about mind mapping for grants. It's a great episode. Please check it out. Yeah, and anything else, send me an email, hollywego at gmail.com. I enjoy you guys, um, and I will see you next time. All right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's show. As always, please feel free to send me an email if you have any grant writing or funding questions to hollywego at gmail.com. If you enjoy listening to the grant writing and funding podcast, then I would love to ask you a favor. Please leave a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening and go get funded.